John chapter 8, and we left off last week in, uh, in chapter 8, verse 30. And so we're going to pick it up from verse 30 tonight. And as you can see from the slide, uh, we're not getting very far. <laughs> last time I added it up, I think it's three verses, 30, 31, and 32. And you might think, my word, how can you spend that much time on just three verses? I can. Uh, <laughs> a lot of guys can, actually, because it's, it's a portion of Scripture that just has so much to say about the people that Jesus was talking to in this text, but also what it has to say to us as well. Uh, so let's read those three verses and we'll get started. Verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 says, He who is not with me is against me. Now Jesus making that statement, it's pretty clear, isn't it? You're either with me or you're not. You're either believing in me or you're not. You're either with me or you're against me. Uh, we know that in sporting events especially, there's two teams. Uh, and one team is against the other. You can't necessarily play on both teams, right? Although we all know referees do that occasionally. But, but still, uh, the, the objective is, is two teams to compete against each other. So in this particular case, we have Jesus saying, you're either with me or you're against me. And so it's a, it's a very clear statement that he makes there. And we've referenced many times as we've gone through the book of John, the, that there's only two kinds of people, aren't there? There are those who are saved and those who are not. Those who are believers and those who are not. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation and those who have not. Those who are what we would call a child of God and those who are not. Uh, we saw in John chapter 1, verse 11, that it said, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So those that are going to become children of God must believe in his name and receive him. And we're going to see that that even goes into the point of next week when we'll cover a lot more verses. Uh, I've entitled it, Who's Your Daddy? Because we'll see as we get into the text, it's very clear that there's this, you're either for him or against him, and you can relate that to who are you looking to to guide you? Is it the Lord or is it Satan himself? So, uh, But we're going to start where we ended last week with verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So it says that in this verse that many believed in him. We don't know how many, but it was a number of people believed in him uh, because of what it was that he was teaching. And then we see that this time it's different than has been in other times because in the other situations where it says they believed in him, they were actually believing in his works. They were believing in the signs and wonders that were being done, and that's what drew them to him. But in this particular case, we don't see that that's uh, taken place at all. We see that he's been teaching, he's been communicating with them, and they many believed in him because of that. So there were 
his audience at this point would be, just as we've said already, there are those that believe in him and there's many who had not yet believed in him. That's, that's the only thing that there can be. So you need to keep that in mind as we move on through the text tonight, but also as we get into it next week, that there's many that believed in him, as we just saw in verse 30, but the flip side of that is there's many that had not as well. So because we will see that this dialogue actually switches, uh, that Jesus is talking with or dialoguing with one group of people, and then just in one verse it turns and he's talking to another group of people, and you'll be able to see that as well. So in order to follow this, we have to keep the text in context. Up to this point, we've seen that Jesus' teaching, uh, there are those that followed the signs and wonders, not yet truly believing, and there were those that believed in him, we see in verse 30, and then there's those that did not believe at all, religious leaders who wanted to what? Stone him and, and kill him. They wanted him done away with. So we're going to see a definition that Jesus gives regarding those who he would call or recognize as his disciples. In verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, we see a word that jumps out there, disciples. And you hear a lot talked about, uh, you know, disciples and discipleship. And yes, we have the discipleship class that we do on Thursday nights. If you don't come to that, it doesn't mean that you're not a disciple. <laughs> this is just a class that we offer to help grow you in the Lord. So uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you are his disciple. But there are some things that he has for us in this text that talks a little bit more about that. So looking at those two verses, there should be several prominent phrases that just jump off the page at us. First one, abide in. You might want to underline that or make note of that. Abide in. And then there's also my word. There's also my disciples. Then in the next verse, 32, it says, the truth. It says that twice. And then that last statement, make you free. So we have abide in. We have my word. We have my disciple, the truth, and make you free. And we've seen throughout our study of John so far, there, there's always different types, different groups of people that surround Jesus. As we've talked, those that don't believe in him, there is a group too that just followed him. We see that in the text at times, that there were those that were just following, and I think just waiting to see what he was going to do next. And so the text doesn't give us any indication on whether they're believers or not. They're just following. Now, you could say, well, a uh, definition of a disciple is a follower of Christ. Well, in this light, no, that's not the case. You're not only a, to be a disciple, you'd also have to be a follower and a believer, not just a follower. So... He has those types of people, those who followed him. Then he has those that believed in what? His works. So they saw the signs and wonders. They believed in the works. And maybe they were still following because they thought, hey, there might still be chance we could get a free meal or we could get healed from whatever is wrong with this. You know, it's a possibility. Then we see in our text tonight that there are those, there was the many that believed in him. They were disciples of him. 
Now, the first three of those did not believe in him. The last two did believe in him. So there are those that didn't believe in him, those that followed him, and those who believed in his works. They weren't believing in him. And then there's those that believed in him and the disciples that he makes mention of here. So this last one, the disciples, goes farther because they're actually doing what he says. They're living out what he teaches. They are disciplined in their believing. They continue to believe regardless. They continue to follow regardless. We know that to be true of his own personal tight group of disciples because when he gave the teaching on uh, eat of my body and drink of my blood, there were many that were offended by that. They were just taken back by that and the text told us that they chose to follow him no more. And then he turned to his disciples, the boys, and says, you know, do you wish to leave too? And Peter said, what? Where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So in the midst of all that was going on, while there were those that falling, falling away, his disciples were staying strong. And I don't believe that it was just that group of guys. I believe there was many who believed in him, just like the text said. So he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Well, what is his word? This actually came up in a conversation we had on Thursday night. What, what is his word? What's the word referring to? So let's, uh, let's define that first. Matthew 5.17 says that, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So the my word Jesus is referring to would be all of what the Jews had available to available to them at this point that had been inspired by God. We have to put that qualifier on there because they had a lot of stuff available to them. But in order for it to be His Word, it would have to be something that had been inspired by God. We even look at the law. God had His law. We see that throughout the Old Testament. And that was inspired by God. That was set forth by God. But we also see that during the 400 silent years, without a prophet to speak to them, they kind of added to that, didn't they? They came up with a whole bunch more laws uh, that people needed to keep, and it wasn't necessarily what God had intended or what God wanted, they just added to that. So to get a clear definition on His Word, we know that it needs to be, has to be inspired by God. So it's all that was written and available to them that was truly inspired by by God, not man, at that point in time. So God's laws, God's prophecies, the Old Testament as we would know it, uh, and scrolls, uh, that's what Jesus came to fulfill. It was prophesied that he would fulfill it. He came to fulfill it. He did fulfill it. Plus, his word, or my word, as he uh, states it, would also include everything that Jesus has taught up to this point. And of course, he's going to continue to teach, you know, on from there. But at this point in time, as we look at this, keeping my word, when he says my word, that would include all of what we know to be true, God inspired in the Old Testament, and also everything that Jesus has taught up to that point. So his audience at this time, his word included all the writings of the law and the prophets and everything that Jesus had taught. So for us tonight in this place, it's everything that we would hold in our hand, right? His, his word. 
Jesus hasn't necessarily verbally, verbally or audibly spoken to one of us. Maybe he has through his Holy Spirit. I don't know. It does happen. Uh, but certainly everything that we have in his word, what we would consider to be his word. It's, it's inspired by God. So this is his word. So he says abiding in his word. What is abiding in? Well, all of us live somewhere, don't we? All of us have a, a home, an apartment, uh, a motorhome, a camper, a boat, whatever it is that you live in, you could call that your abode. This is where I live. This is where uh, I stay. This is where I'm living life out when I'm not at work or whatever else. This is my living place, if you would call it that. So it's something that you take up residence in. This is our residence. This is our, our home. Uh, and it's a place that you're in continually or ongoing. People ask you, well, where do you live? Well, you give them directions over there. Not many of us would say when they ask us where we live, we give them the address at work, although many of us probably feel like we spend more hours at work than we do at home. Still, if they're asking us where we live, we're going to refer, refer to our, our home, our, our place of residence. So living in, residing in, continually in His Word, abiding in His Word. It's not just being there, but it's also living it out. It's what we would call our home. So abiding in Christ is truly abiding in Him, living in Him, taking up residence with Him. Now we know from Scripture that He has taken up residence in us, in our hearts. His Holy Spirit is there for us. But it's also living in Him, living in His Word, so that when we hear His Word, and His Word encourages us to do something, say something, that's something that we take as, this is what He wants us to do. I need to be obedient uh, to that. Guys, how many of you here uh, live in your house, you take up residence in your house, and you're constantly disobedient to your wife? Well, don't raise your hand on that one. Let's not go there. But it happens, doesn't it? It's not the same thing, we know, because our wives aren't the Lord. Uh, we do, we worship you ladies, we do worship you, but not in the same way. And so uh, we would be in a place where if the Lord is prompting us, guiding us, urging us to do this or that thing or speak in this or that way, then as a disciple and as one who is abiding in Him, it should be our desire to do that, shouldn't it? We would want to be obedient to do that. So it's living out His Word, trusting in what it says, being what it says. Because it's not about just doing, is it? Uh, it's also about being what He tells us to be as well, uh, and then doing what it says. So you might say tonight, Pastor Jim, I, I don't always do that. Well, I know you don't. <laughs> I don't either. Therein lies the problem, right? We are, we are in Him. We are doing our best to abide in Him, trying to live in Him and carry out our day, and yet we know that we, we fall short. Uh, but we also must remember that His Word 
it goes way beyond just what is in this written form. Uh, they had the distinct privilege of walking truly physically, walking with Jesus, didn't they? And we also have that available to us, not physically, but spiritually. But as we're doing it spiritually, it should uh, reveal itself in our lives physically as well, to be walking with the Lord, to be cognizant of that, that we know that I'm going through my day walking with Jesus. Now, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Because all of us, no matter what type of work we do, uh, preoccupied, is that probably the best word to describe? Uh, preoccupied, focused. Um, it's not that we've just left the Lord at home. Okay, it was good spending time with you this morning, but now i got to go to work, so please don't interrupt me because I've got so much to get taken care of and I don't need the distraction of... Well, none of us would never say that. We want to take the Lord with us throughout our whole day in, in our work and in our workplace. But it's not always an easy thing to do, is it? So it's important for us to be disciplined to abide in Him. Uh, I heard it said many years ago, I've said it here before, having an awareness of His thereness. Being aware that He is there throughout our day. And even if that means practically making ourselves little notes, you know, little post-it notes or little labels here and there. Uh, at work, I've got a, a screensaver on my computer. I've also got a little pop-up routine. About every 15 minutes, it pops up and, you know, gives me some encouragement for the day. Or, have you thought about the Lord lately? I had that one on there for a while. <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, it's been 15 minutes since you popped up the last time, you know. But whatever it takes to help us to remember, to help us be disciplined, to know that God is there with us. He's there with us even when we're not there with Him. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that's, that's just what's great about our God. He, 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 he will never leave us. He's always there for us to guide us and direct us. If we turn to Him, we don't have to look for Him. He is there. He's there with us always. So, we know by that then His Word is also Jesus Himself. He is His Word. His Word is Him. Remember when we went through our exhaustive study of the first chapter of John? I don't remember how many CDs that took up. I think like four, just in that first chapter. It was, we were covering a lot of ground, but we were laying a foundation for what we really needed to be able to ground ourselves as we moved through the book of John. Well, during that time, we coupled two verses together to give us a picture or flow of what was being said of the Word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if you string that all together, now don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that God got this wrong when he inspired John to write this, that he should have put those two together. I'm not saying that at all. It's 100% correct the way that it is. But for us to glean more from it, we string those together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It kind of captures everything, doesn't it, that, that Christ is. Certainly establishes one thing for sure. What? He is the Word. 
and the Word came here and dwelt among us. So they've established several things for us in these verses. The Word has always been from the beginning. The Word has always been with God. The Word has always been God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we can say with confidence from those two verses alone, Jesus is the Word. Jesus has always been from the beginning. Jesus has always been with God. Jesus is God. And Jesus came and dwelt among us. So since Jesus is God, He is also the Word of God. So it's not like there was any point in time when Jesus got a Word from the Father and went, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> there, was, there was never a time that that happened. Jesus is God. So He was communicating what the Father wanted Him to communicate, but it was in perfect harmony, wasn't it? It was in perfect union with God because He was God, and what was being said was perfect for whatever the situation was. As Jesus as God, we are able to abide in His Word. We're able to abide in it. We can take confidence in it. We can rest in it, have peace in it, comfort in it, to know that His Word is never going to leave us or forsake us. Just like He will never leave us or forsake us, right? Because His Word and Him are one and the same. He's been from the beginning, so everything written, everything spoken, past, present, and future, inspired by God, is what they were to abide in. And it's what we're to abide in as well. For what purpose? Well, he tells us to be his disciples. So if truly our desire is to be his disciples, we know from this that we're to abide in his word, we're to abide in him, living in him, residing in him, continually in his word. Now, when I say the word continually, that probably stirs up in all of us a little bit of, well, how do you do that continually? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. How do you do that? You know, because we do work, don't we? We do drive, and our focus is, is off. Sometimes we're not very disciple-like at all when we drive, are we? <laughs> Me included. But we know that as a disciple... He would want us to be in a place where we were uh, focused upon Him all the time. Now, we know that we struggle with that. We do. But like I've said before, we do have the opportunity each and every day that we start out to start fresh, don't we? We have the opportunity to get up early in the morning and go, this is a brand new day. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, as it says in the book of Isaiah. We have that opportunity to see that new thing that God's going to do in our lives and in other people's lives that day. So we can take the time, hopefully, to say, okay, Lord, don't know what the day holds, but I want us to spend some time with you this morning before the day starts to just get on with your program, whatever that is. And God understands our schedule, doesn't He? Do you think God has a problem with our schedule? Like, like God's going, oh, I don't know how I'm going to find time to work with Him today because they've got this going on and that going on and 
I'm just, I feel like my hands are tied, you know. God's never in that place. God can work through any situation in any way that he wants to get through to us. He can. But we do have that opportunity to start the day out just as we have the example of Jesus get rising up early in the morning, spending time with the Lord to be prepared for the day because we don't know what the day holds. And it doesn't mean that the day is always going to be a negative thing. There's very positive things that can come out of it as well, especially if we're praying for those divine appointments. God put someone in my path today that I have the opportunity to share with. And Lord, if you do that, then give me the words to, to share with them. And these types of things, when we're praying those types of things early in the morning, inquiring of the Lord that early uh, for our day, it's not like God's going to go, you're on your own today. Man, I worked with you yesterday and you didn't do anything I said. And it was just a struggle with you yesterday. So I'm taking a day off from you, you know. And the Lord has every right to do that, doesn't he? <laughs> Given the way we were the day before. However, he never does that. He's always there for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And he wants to guide us through the day. So I think that this is probably not a, uh, the type of term necessarily that you might use in heaven, but I think it jazzes God up when we do that. I think God gets fired up when we're coming to him and saying, Lord, what do you got for me today? I just want to be guided by you. I think he likes that a lot. So, and, and he's totally blessed by that. We never want to forget that because we are right in the place where he wants us to be when we're, you know, when we're communicating with him in that way. He can work with that. He can work in spite of that as well, but he can work with that. So truly being in him, being in his word, are one and the same or should be one and the same. And if we're in that place of being in him, being in his word, he has promises for us by these scriptures. The promises are we are his disciples. We know the truth and the truth makes us free. Now that's encouraging, is it not? To know that when we're in him and we're with him, it's the confidence of knowing we're his disciples. It's also the confidence in knowing that when we've messed up, when we're not following him the way that we think we should, and we go to him and say, I'm not following you the way I think I should, or the way you think I should, he's still there with us regardless, right? So we are still his disciples. We are still in him. It's a promise for us. We are his disciples. We know the truth. And if you don't know any other truth in Scripture other than Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine, after three days he rose from the grave, was resurrected, spent a little time with the boys here on earth, and then went to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he's there interceding for us. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to help us, to be our helper to do this Christian walk. If you didn't know any other truth other than that, Pastor Jim, I don't know any other scriptures. What did Paul say? I have not forsaken to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was all about keeping the main thing the main thing, right? And the main thing is Jesus Christ and Him crucified for us. That's the most important thing. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I just don't know that many scriptures. I don't have that many scriptures memorized. 
my mind is just not what it used to be, and I don't retain quite what I used to. Have anybody here used that excuse? Yeah, I have to. Uh, it's, it's pretty much a farce because uh, what does it say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it doesn't say renewing of your mind, but, you know, if you're over 50, uh, that's just not possible because you can't, you know, it's just not there anymore. That's not true. It's just not true. He is in the business of renewing our minds and renewing our hearts daily. So we have the opportunity again when we're with the Lord early in the morning. We've, we've kind of made that a given at this point, right? We're in the, with the Lord early in the morning, and we also pray, Lord, as I go through my day, bring to remembrance to me those scriptures that I need to help me get through the day. We've talked about this before. Give me spiritual sustenance for the day, as is needed. So we're asking him for that. And that's another thing that I don't think he says, no, I gave you two verses yesterday and you just blew them off. You didn't even pay attention to me, so I'm not going to give you any more verses until you pay attention to those verses. God's just not like that. God wants to work in us in a new way each and every day and reveal himself to us so that we can be used by him, that we can grow in him and draw closer to him. So this, also, this text also says that the truth does what? It makes us free. So you might ask, free? Really? Is there anything in life that's really free? How many of you remember growing up, some of you I'm sure, buying a box of Cracker Jacks, and on the side of the box it said, free toy inside? However, you just had to pay to buy that box of Cracker Jacks, did you not? So no matter what they try to do with advertising, it's not free. I just paid for that box of Cracker Jacks. I saw that too in a coffee shop just down the street. I won't say what it is. You know what it is because it's the only one in town that's open. Uh, well, they're not open right now, actually. Not coming down on them for that, but never mind. So the sign hanging in the window of the coffee shop said what? Free Wi-Fi. Oh, great. So I go in, I pay $4.50 for a cup of coffee to sit down with my iPad and enjoy what? The free Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's not free, folks, is it? It cost me $4.50. Now, if I stayed there all day, maybe that's a good deal. I wouldn't recommend that, staying there all day, but obviously it's not free. Just recently, Chris and I had to make a trip to Minneapolis to see our, see our grandson. Did I tell you we have a new grandson? I, I probably did, yeah. Ronan, our grandson. Yeah, he's, he's neat. So the sign in the window at the tire shop said, free tire check balance and rotation for the life of your tires with the purchase of a full set of tires. Well, that free deal cost me like $500, right? It's not free. So free is not really free. It costs somebody something sometime, doesn't it? Anybody that said, hey, I've got this old refrigerator, and I don't know about you, but that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I've got this old refrigerator, because I know what's coming next, and you want to no, 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 I don't need one, you know? <laughs> because you know what? You're going to have to move it, aren't you? So that's not free. But it wasn't free to start with. They paid for it. Somebody paid for it. 
So it's not really free. Even if free puppies, how many of you have seen that sign? How many have you actually given in to the free puppy sign? <laughs> it happens. I know it happens. Free puppies. There's no such thing as a free puppy. <laughs> there just isn't. Because immediately maintenance becomes involved with this puppy, whether it's to the vet, certainly food, just all sorts of things. So there's really nothing. Somebody could say, hey, I got a boat I want to get rid of. You ever wanted a boat? You know, so they give you a free boat. <laughs> there's no way that's free. Because just to get it to the water, you got to burn gas, right? And there's a good chance if they're giving it away, it doesn't run anyhow. You know, so it's just not free. So free is kind of a relative term for us as we see it in our lives, certainly. It costs somebody something, somewhere, sometime. There was a sign posted on the door of, a, of, a, of the children's ministry at a church one time that says, if you do not pick up your children on time after the service has ended, we will give your child a free puppy and a large double latte. Now that's motivation to get your kids picked up on time, is it not? free puppy and a free latte that's at a price. It's your sanity, right? Can you imagine little Johnny, for want of a better term, hopped up on lattes and got a free puppy? <laughs> Maintenance involved. It's going to cost you something. Uh, Patrick Henry from history is quoted as saying just before the American Revolution, is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I care not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, what's the most quoted part of that? Give me liberty or give me death. That's what we hear all the time. But I find it fascinating what, all that it says before that. Forbid it, Almighty God. I care not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The founding fathers of our country wanted they desired liberty. Well, what, what is liberty? What was he referring to? Well, Webster's defines liberty as the state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. The, cre the key phrase there is the state of being free. State of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. I am so glad, we are so blessed that we live in a country where that is not the case. <laughs> I'm kidding, right? <laughs> we still deal with that as well. We do live in what we would term as a free country. We're not in slavery but there are liberties that we consider to be valuable to us that are being trampled on, aren't they? You know, on one side, you don't have the, they don't think you have the right to bear arms. They don't want you bearing arms. On the other side, you have, you know, it's okay to drink. Not granted, they don't want you to drink and drive, but it's okay. You have the freedom to consume alcohol. And now in our state, we also have the freedom to consume marijuana as well. We know that. Now, I look at that and I just think, 
Did anybody not think of the fact that there's probably going to be some people that are consuming alcohol or marijuana that carry firearms? <laughs> it's, that's just the way it is. That's going, to, you know, that's going to happen. So Jesus says to those, as we saw in verse 30, to those who believed in Him, the many who believed, right now in this verse it's clear that He is talking to those Jews who believed Him. We know that because that's what the text says. We have to believe that the text said many believed in him. And then in verse 31 it said, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So he's talking to the ones that believed in him, right? I don't think there's any argument. There's really no other way to look at that. And in our text Jesus says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The state of being free, to be free. Free from what? Free from sin and death. Romans 8, uh, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law of sin and death. Well, so what's the law of sin and death? Well, if we can't keep God's law, then what are we doing? We're sinning. If we're not keeping what God has set down as His righteous law, and we're not doing that, then we're sinning. We've got the top ten that we know of. All of us have seen that list. Most of us in here, I think, are probably safe on thou shalt not murder. But Thou shalt not lie. Well, how many of you have told just a little white lie? Where in the Word does it talk about color-coding our lies? I don't see it anywhere. So a little white lie, there is no such thing as a little white lie, even if you do get the little spot on your fingernail. I mean, you guys know what that is, don't you? I don't that's what my mom told me growing up. If I tell a white lie, I get a little white mark on my fingernail. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Let's move on. So, uh, coveting. How many of you have ever struggled with coveting? How many of you have actually seen a car that you just went, oh, I like that car. <laughs> Need that car. I want that car. Greg and I actually put ourselves in Covet Central last Sunday. <laughs> we went to a car show, and oh my goodness, everywhere you turn, it's just like, ah. And I said to Greg, Greg, you need to get me out of here, man. I feel like I'm under such attack. No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> I just didn't thoroughly enjoy looking at those cars. But there's something when you can look at those cars and go, yeah, well, I can't afford it. You know, so it makes it easier that way. And then you go, well, I wish I could afford it. You know, maybe if I sold one of my children. No. So we all struggle with the law. We all know that we fall short, that we do sin. We fall short of God's righteous requirement. So the law of sin and death is very, very simple, really. We can't keep God's law, so therefore we are sinners. And we are damned if we don't have something to help pull us out of that situation, right? 
If we can't be pulled up out of the muck of sin, if we can't overcome that in some way, then we know we're in trouble. So the law of sin and death is, is that we're sinners, and if we don't accept Jesus Christ, we're going to die in our sin. I mean, it's just very plain and simple. So those of you who have been a part of the discipleship class on Thursday evenings, you've heard or uh, looked at what we've talked about, uh, something called the Romans Road. Uh, and it's a select group of verses from the book of Romans that, that one can use to, to share the gospel. I love to use that methodology, the Romans Road, to share the gospel with someone. Uh, you can, uh, tonight as you're here, if you like to take notes, you can outline this uh, with notes. You can highlight it in your Bible. But what's really neat about it is that uh, I know in my Bible, I, all I got to do is get to that first verse. And then I've got the next verse that I go to written right next to it. So then I can go from verse to verse to verse to, to, to get through that. So it's easy to find whenever you're sharing with someone. I've got three Bibles with that marked in it. So that whatever I happen to be, that Bible with me, if I have the opportunity to share the gospel, I can get to those verses quickly. Because I believe that it's of utmost importance when we're sharing the gospel with someone, we refer to God's word. Because they need to know that we are, what? In His Word. Abiding in His Word. That we hold His Word in high regard. And that is going to be the final authority for everything that we do and everything that we say. So, follow me on this. Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So, if you look up none in the Greek, it means none. It's not real difficult. I love Greek words like that that mean exactly what the word says as we know it. So it means none, no one. And I like the way that this is written, the way Paul writes this. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one, except for Jesus Christ himself. So there's none righteous, no, not one. So if you're sharing with someone, that's the best place to get to as quick as you possibly can, right? And you don't have to say, no one's righteous and you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You know, that's, I'm not going to say it won't work because God can work in any situation. I just don't think it's probably the best way to get there. I think to make it very clear to them, you follow that up by saying, you know, I was there. I came to a point in my life where I realized I was falling way short of God's righteous requirement. And I realized only Jesus was righteous. I'm not. So given my current state, something's got to change. Something's got to give here in order for me to get into a place of being righteous before the Lord. You take them to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if they tell you, well, you know, I'm really a pretty good person. I'm really not that bad. Oh, really? Well, I've met some people in my life that I thought, they are just really a good person. They just are. You just think, well, they just got to be a Christian because they're such a good person. Not necessarily the case. There's a lot of good people out there that don't know the Lord. Maybe they have good morals. Maybe they're, they have great character. But if they don't know Jesus Christ, they have a problem. Because everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Husbands, I'll ask you. Is your wife a sinner? Has your wife sinned? 
<laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Nobody wants to answer that. My wife has sinned. I mean, I probably had something to do with it, I'm sure. <laughs> I was probably the initiator of that sin, but she's a sinner, just like I am, just like you are. Saved by grace, because we know the truth. We know His Word. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that we have been and are in that category. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, being in our sinful state not having any hope, if we haven't accepted Jesus Christ, uh, death is looming out there for us. And so, well, you know, at that point, we're, we're sunk, aren't we? We haven't made that decision for Christ before we actually physically die. Uh, we've got a problem. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is offering us a way out. He's saying, I recognize where you are. I laid down the law, and I know you couldn't keep the law, so I had to provide for you a sacrifice, a Savior, that would help you overcome that. A one-time sacrifice. And that's Christ Jesus. And He's giving, that, giving Christ to us as a gift, it says. Now, how many gifts have you ever gotten where they charged you for it? I'm not saying it didn't cost you something because <laughs> someone could give you that free puppy. Here's a gift. I, I got this for you. Here's this cute little free puppy that's actually an Alaskan Malamute and you don't know it, you know, so it's not a free little puppy. It's going to be a horse someday, you know, so, but it's a, it's, a, it's a free gift. So a free gift, a gift is not something that's charged for. It's given to you. And we see more of that in Romans 5, 8, the next verse, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this free gift that we get, like we talked before, there's nothing free. Something, Somebody paid for it, didn't they? Well, the free gift that we received was paid for by Jesus Christ. He's the one that paid for it by dying for us on the cross. In Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I love verses like that because they're just so... How can you mess that up? i got to confess with my mouth that the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Well, in order to believe that God raised Him from the dead, we also have to believe that He died to start with, right? And we know that He died on the cross, and He was raised from the dead, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So then we can safely assume He is raised from the dead, and we will be saved. We have to believe that. The Word tells us that. His Word, He tells us that. And we have to believe that and confess it with our mouth. So, confessing with her mouth the Lord and believing in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, another one of those promises. Calling on the name of the Lord saves us. Saves us. Recognizing who the Lord is, what he's done for us, what his word says, responding to that. He loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us 
we are, when we call on Him, we're responding to the love that He's poured out on us. So He's saying, I have come to keep the law for you, this is what Jesus is saying, so that you can have a right relationship with God through me. That's what He's saying to the people in our text. That's what He's saying to us tonight. And they don't know it yet, but Jesus is going to pay the ultimate price later on. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice for their sins and, and ours. So it's offered free to them and to us, but a price has to be paid by Jesus Christ. They are slaves to their sin. They are in bondage to their sin. They cannot overcome sin by keeping the law. And see, that's the heart of the problem. They thought that they were. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, the, Jewish, the Jews in that time, they thought by keeping the law, they were in a right relationship with God. But they were slaves to their sin. They're in bondage to their sin. And Jesus is constantly pointing that out to them. And of course, it doesn't go over very well. But they can't overcome their sin by keeping the law because they can't keep the law. We know that to be true because we know that we can't either. The law that they cannot keep, which will never free them from their sin, is the very thing that they're in bondage to. So that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. But he's saying there is a way to truly be free. That's be my disciples. If we are not in Jesus, we are not free. We're in bondage to sin. We are slaves to sin, as Scripture says. But we're going to see in our text next week that Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free Indeed, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, makes us free, we can have confidence in that. We are free in Him because of what He's done for us. And we can only be true, truly free from the law of sin and death by being in, abiding in Jesus Christ. He paid the price so that we could be free. Amen?